Welcome to the Flannery Podcast. This is episode 43, the first 100 days. Stay tuned. Lenin said, reportedly, quote, there are decades when nothing happens, and there are weeks when decades happen. number of people are saying that these days. We have days now when as many die in a day as did die on the terrible day 9-11. Each day Trump was in office there were lies told, laws broken, our institutions compromised, the nation, its constitution, the Congress, the courts, the citizens all compromised. Trump took us on a ride to hell. Little wonder Trump's minions stall as a transition that would show what was going on. Busy, busy destroying evidence of what we suspect. Trump and his lackeys did wrong. It's like the Tom Cruise movie, I think it was called The Firm. The law firm was shredding, shredding, shredding so that no one would know what they had done. That was about organized crime as well. Of course, we have many neighbors, even friends who can't handle the truth. So they believe, need to believe, what is false. We have an outgoing administration that has ignored and set out to violate the law, the Constitution, even ordinary adult behavior. And who came to office? Trump, a failed casino operator, corrupt builder, mob associate, reality star, a trash-talking, hateful bigot, elected by less than half the population. This Sunday, Talking Heads Day, when I'm recording this, I heard someone commiserating for Trump. Yeah, sure, he's had to do such horrible things that some think he deserves sympathy, really? Trump suffers as a victim for his cruelty to others. Our government has not worked for us these four years. For Russia and Putin, perhaps, but not for us. You may remember how at a NATO meeting not long after Trump took office, Trump pushed another leader out of the way so he could be in the shot. And he, he pulled his cuffs and he pumped up his chest like he vanquished some kid in a street fight in a schoolyard in Queens. It was emblematic of who Trump is. He's a bully. Ask the Republican Party. Oh, they won't tell you, except off the record. It's the party of dead man walking. And if the Lincoln Project doesn't restore the party to its traditional place in our two-party system, it is dead. You know, when Jefferson became president after Adam, Adams, uh, Adams left town the day of the inauguration. There was such a bitterness between them, and his uh, son had died. He had alcoholism. And so Adams got on a stagecoach and was in Baltimore, leaving at about 4 a.m. Jefferson spent two terms in the White House, and annihilated the Federalists as a party. If the Republicans don't figure out how to be relevant to more voters and think that they can continue to be in power by suppressing the vote and writing rules that are unfair and unconstitutional, the same fate waits them. And I'm not talking against the two-party system. I do think that responsible differences of opinion are how we advance as a civilization. Of course, the standard of civilization is how we treat our own, and by that standard, 
Trump and all of his minions have failed terribly. So there's a lot to be done before we reach that point where we have some equivalence, some orderliness among the members of Congress to discuss the matters that mean so much to the nation. We haven't seen much of Trump the last uh, several days because he's been busy stealing from his suckers, no doubt he calls them that, like he has any way to win this election. Still, he tells them that he will, that he was robbed and that they should contribute to him. And even how after the Electoral College removed any last objection to Biden being the president, he was still saying, I can win, I, was still, I won the election and you should continue to contribute to me. There it is, a grifter right out in public doing it and nobody's stopping him, nobody's serving subpoenas, asking questions, looking at the records, no journalist is writing about it. Oh, they write about it in a general way, he's taking the money for himself. So they're gonna wait until he really walks out the door with that bag of cash in his various accounts and say, well, yeah, he got that all legally, that was okay. Isn't that like everything else in Trump's life? The false statement, the, the game. The... So Trump, Trump is pocketing these millions for himself as he looks to puncture the tires of the new administration. You know, accepting in truth what he really believes that he's lost. He's doing everything he can, like the sore loser that he is, like the bad person that he is. If he can't have his way, he'll make it tough for Biden and the nation. I'm a Trump's voice, however, grows fainter. Isn't that pleasant? You wake up in the morning and he is not the top story in the paper. Trump's voice grows fainter, and that's sweet. His actions are less effective. He makes noise these days. Trump has been overcome by the impetus of the election, of the impotence of losing. I can't say that the pathos of his free fall into ignominy isn't pleasing after his years of lawless arrogance and abuse of citizens and institutions from A to Z. In the dying throes, the final gasps of this hateful, tragic figure. It was his first national security advisor that said Trump should seize all the voting machines in the battleground states of the last election and declare martial law and have another election. Visions of third world dictatorships danced through their twisted minds and they discussed this in the White House. This was debated in the White House. How could that happen? Well, the recommendations not being followed and we, we can only wonder why because they've done every other extreme thing and I think the possibilities, the court would immediately declare it unconstitutional before Trump could say fake news. Trump also decided that Sidney Powell, he thought she had a good idea that maybe he as president could appoint her as a special counsel to do what? Investigate Biden's son? Really? And this got batted around. And as I've said on my walk and talk, <laughs> Rudy Giuliani was one of the opponents, probably because he wants to come up with the only crazy ideas. So as of now, that's on the shelf. Then we have this very significant problem, and all of this is to show how even in his last hours, Trump is not doing anything to be of help to the nation. Trump 
is debating Pompeo, his Secretary of State, who said Russia did hack our security systems, has access to all manner of information that threatens our national security. And what does Trump say? He says, well, um, it could be the Chinese. In fact, I'm, I'm sure it's the Chinese. He does everything he can to protect his cohort in crime, Russia and Putin. And this is the latest proof of that. Now, looking at Congress, he threatens, and who knows, maybe by the time you hear this, you'll know the answer. He threatened to veto the bill that Congress was passing, which was to help people during the pandemic. And it was $900 billion when we need $3 trillion. Tick-tock. It's a Scrooge-like performance. Why they want to kick the can down the road. This is a sad state of affairs. But there's good news, and, and more than just the fact that Trump is going out the door and all of his cronies are going with him. We as a nation have an opportunity, an existential opportunity, to show America has the capacity for greatness. It suffered in recent years. You know, we had the space farce, which does nothing than put on uniforms and promise things are going to happen, like this is the same thing as Kennedy's speech that we will put a man on the moon and do the other things. But then we did it with the help of different administrations and the Congress and all the people enthused behind the capacity. We then did show that we had greatness. So we have an existential opportunity to show America that we have the capacity for greatness. And we'll discover if we have that capacity in the first hundred days of the Biden administration. Now, I'm not saying anything, I'm not making up this challenge. This is the test, the standard by which we, we measure presidents since the first 100 days of FDR's administration because he passed so much legislation in such a difficult time because of the Depression. And it's about a president who has power, and FDR had the power, and we'll talk about that in a second. And he had power that more than the Congress did when he did it. I suspect we'll see many comparisons uh, in the days ahead to how FDR navigated those waters. Now, his view was to try something. If it works, repeat. If it fails, try something else, but do something. There's another president, Woodrow Wilson, who struggled with the extent and operation of government and of power. But I wanna talk a little bit about his analysis of power. Because in the 1890s, when he was about 28, Woodrow Wilson had decided he didn't like the law and he wanted time to think as an historian. He wrote his PhD on congressional government and he wrote it for Johns Hopkins. And his analysis was after the Civil War, after Lincoln's death, when Johnson grew weak as an element of the government because of the reconstruction and was himself impeached. The presidency was weakened as a check and balance on how the government ran and what could be done. They, uh, they impeached him in large part for political reasons because of how the reconstruction went. And the presidents were weak after that until when in the 1890s, Wilson was writing his, uh, his novella on how the government worked. Now Wilson was an Anglophile and thought Congress had to take on more responsibility, be like the parliament in London because the president was weak. 
Wilson was inspired by Bejot, who wrote a fabulous uh, treatment on how the British Constitution worked. And Wilson was critical of the U.S. Congress's committee system because he didn't think it was effective and we needed a more effective government. And he saw himself in government and not as president because he didn't think that was an important position. He saw himself as becoming a senator from Virginia. He liked the fact that uh, a government on the wrong track in the parliamentary system could be replaced. Italy, uh, we would find after the war, that, that wasn't such a blessing because I think they changed hands like 24, 26, uh, 46 times, some amazing number of times. And uh, there are great pictures you can find, probably on YouTube and elsewhere, of them hitting each other with chairs and everything else. And you know, 10 Downing uh, Street in England, London, England, had a turnover of PMs, prime ministers, just not as bad as Italy would after the war. Uh, but then along came McKinley in the United States and TR, and the presidency gathered strength from the other branches. So Wilson reevaluated his treatise after that and saw that the president had greater power. And certainly by the time Wilson had left uh, Princeton and after he'd been governor of New Jersey and was convinced to run for president and did and won, he had power as the president. It took on strength and even more power under FDR. And that's where the 100-day test came from for presidents since that time, how they exercised that amazing power they had as president, head of the free world. The question is, much, how much out of balance is our presidency these days, and how do we correct it? The answer is our checks and balances are out of whack. These last four years, we've seen that very clearly. Trump usurped the power of both houses of Congress. He ignored Pelosi. He controlled Moscow Mitch's Republican caucus by their fear and uh, loathing of what Trump could do them, his threats about primaries if they didn't toe the line, if they didn't do what he wanted. Of course, the Republican Party was ready to do unthinkable things before Trump. They just didn't know they could do it and just say it right out there and go for it. Bigoted messages, corrupt deals, voter suppression, uh, an agenda that only favored the Wall Street crowd, a bill of goods for the hoi polloi, the common man on Main Street. Trump with the help of Moscow Mitch, put judges on the bench who they believed favored an agenda that would throw out or not enforce the laws that they favored to be overturned, despite precedent. Stated by the three candidates during the Republican administration of Mr. Trump, oh, they're gonna follow, they're gonna follow precedent. Well, we never had a president who genuflected before Russia either. That was a new experience for us. We never had a president who was beholden to a dictator of another nation to win our highest office, who helped in the 2016 election and was involved doing something hacking to invade our government during the 2020 election. And somehow or other, this government didn't know anything about it. Nothing. It wasn't one of those back doors that we put somewhere in our system or required of the, of the, the program that gave the uh, Russians, uh, a free-for-all, bouncing through all our most secure information. Well, where are we now? We're in better place. Biden has already identified a cabinet that really appears to be the best and the brightest, as opposed to the worst and the dullest. They'll be compared with FDR's brain trust and with JFK's Camelot years. And that's a good thing, because we should have a pride in who runs our government, that 
we, we have to look to these good workers to confirm what they're doing, that it's working. Our government is working again. We, we've not just restored the republic, it's now humming again. We hope it's going to be a smooth running machine in the first hundred days, or certainly give us signs of that. Biden has availed, unveiled approaches to critical issues before the nation, and so we know we have serious men and women who want to serve, not take, from the people. Bobby Kennedy was fond of a, a quote. He used to quote the Chinese curse, you've all heard it, may you live in interesting times. No question these are interesting times, but by that term, he meant challenges challenges to our wit and our will, uh, our caring for other people. These are times of change. These are times of opportunity. Our nation has been transforming itself in the information age. You all know that. But had we not, how would we have dealt with the pandemic? And that we've dealt with the pandemic as we have, it's become more important. And, it's, and this atmosphere, the pandemic and our digital age is gonna transform our nation and how we do things going forward and probably the world. We've transformed in the information age at a time when disinformation is finding a market. The pandemic has accelerated that transformation we're going to be doing everything differently, not just our Congress. And they have to learn this. Everybody has to understand that things are changed. There's a lot of talk about how, uh, you know, at certain ages you don't change. I think that's crazy. I don't know if that's a form of ageism or whatever. You're changing your whole life all the time because of muscle, because of will, because of education, because of wisdom, because of the opportunities that you put in. And some may think older age is only about uh, the fact that you can't run a 440 the way you did when you were 20, but it's, that's not it. It's about a lot of things. It's about loss, and it's about confidence in loss and using the wisdom that you've gained while you still have access to it. It's wondering whether you retire or not. It's nothing but change. And the strongest effort for change is often among those who have the most wisdom and experience in life, not always. You know, we've seen in this cabinet some pretty precocious people. Buttigieg comes to mind, of course. The guy is a star. He knows things and sees things behind, beyond his years. And transportation is not gonna be a small subject in, a, in a, an age when we have the pandemic and we have the information age. So we're gonna have to come to grips with the fact that we must change to be relevant and effective. It's not easy for incumbents and the elected branches of our government to change the system that got them elected. You change the rules that work to get them there, they don't want to change them now. That's not something they want to do. But there's a force in the nation that will demand they bend to change. Now some professions will more naturally segue into the new order. Code writers, designers, lawyers like myself, accountants, but not restaurants, police, hospitals, workers, physicians. Well, you get the idea. Geography will matter. I live in a rural area. The bandwidth is not that great. When I do some things, I have to go to my office, which is in an area uh, in a local established town that has much faster bandwidth. Well, you get the idea too. So geography will matter because bandwidth will matter and rural 
will have less until we give them more. And we're going to need to give them more because the age and times and the pandemic and how we're going to continue to do business are going to require it. Now, some have computers and have access. So besides the fact of bandwidth, some need the, the materials, the, the, the machinery that allows them to have access. <clears throat> so dumb, some don't have that. Some businesses will go away. People will have to be educated and retrained so that they can make a living as they choose to make a living. Just think, if you have things delivered by mail, you are surprised to do, and you're doing it casually, and you're doing it more frequently, and not everybody can do that. And are you getting the things that you are that used to get from a brick-and-mortar building? Not too long ago, months around St. Patty's Day, some before that. There are differences in the work, the geography, the socioeconomic status, all matter and they present challenges and some of it is certainly coming to roost in the first hundred days. And we're not talking about the vaccine, we're talking about everything. And uh, we don't know how the vaccine will work and, and how many will come back from it and be safe to work in those frontline positions. What we need in this digital pandemic space is generally accepted standards to information to inform our decisions. The Congress, you know, has to get it. They can't spend $900 billion on a problem that really needs $3 trillion. They can't kick the can down the road on everything. Some things have to be dealt with. They can't, in the Republican caucus, favor only Wall Street and not give a damn about what happens to people on Main Street. That's the heartless position that the Republican Party has in its dominant members. Okay, maybe not Mitt Romney and not the Lincoln Project, but there are those people who believe this. Uh, and some believe that if you're not doing well, this is a sign that God doesn't want you to do well. Now, where is that in the Sermon on the Mount? Because it's exactly the opposite. And as I've said before, I'm not religious, but the values of the good book and the various religions and the, uh, the philosophies, if people were to follow these writings, society wouldn't have any problems. But what we have is we have fields of hypocrites, particularly in politics, who espouse these views and then do exactly the opposite. We don't want to spend that money on people who are homeless, hungry, and jobless. Really? That's not an answer, but that is the answer in Congress. And as I speak to you, uh, they may have already passed the bill, they may not, that gives some hope to some and solves part of the problem. But again, it's a Band-Aid. We don't want to shore up small businesses. Not an answer, but that's what they're saying in Congress. We don't want to help local governments who don't have the funds to provide the public services. AOC made the amusing remark that, uh, oh good, well you accuse the Democrats of not wanting to fund police and then what do you do? You're gonna cut the money to localities so that they can't actually fund the police? Amazing. Now, Biden has some leeway with existing programs to make a difference. But if our so-called elected representatives of the people in the states and in the congressional district are not doing their part, they're not serving America. They're not upholding the Constitution. They're not upholding the constitutional principles. What about the purse? The purse remains in Congress. Why aren't we using that? We, we have no time for a Congress that is petty.
On the Democratic, you know plenty about the Republican side. We've been through that. But I was very upset on the Democratic side. An emerging talent, AOC from the Bronx, was disciplined, not given a plum committee assignment because she said it was time to consider a change in leadership. And she said she didn't think she was that person because she wasn't ready to do something like that. But somebody had to step up. Now, the reaction, the, dis the, the discipline of her to exclude her from that position made me think maybe she's right. If we can't be large enough to have dissent and to have a conversation, if somebody says to you, maybe you're not good for this job, you say, well, tell me why and how. And then maybe you revise what you're doing. Or maybe you be, remain steadfast. And then maybe you should be removed from office. Uh, we, we've had questions about Pelosi, but on balance, she's made marvelous decisions under difficult circumstances and reluctantly was brought to the table on impeachment, but then threw herself in wholeheartedly. So we have to look at all these things. And Lord Acton told us, you know, um, politics corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So we have to be very careful of that. And we have a narrower uh, margin in the House after this election. And I think that's the people talking to us. They, gave, they made it tighter in both houses and gave us the White House. What is that message? Now, you say they didn't do it consciously. That's true. But somehow our system and its random walk, that's what it came to. And this has happened more than once. So it's almost like the people somehow have a guiding hand that is more subtle than we appreciate when they go out and vote in mass, whether it be by mail-in ballots or in person. So at the least, we need to open debate to get this right. And we have to have that. We have to fight disinformation because that does nothing to us. You know, the old standard about garbage in is garbage out. Well, if your information is garbage, then you're going to make bad decisions. And we've had a lot of those. And we have had a lot of dissent because disinformation spreads. It's with us and will always be with us from now on. It's the poison of democracies and it's a tool of dictators. And yes, that was the monarchical arc of Trump in office. We need to restore, and we need to restore the Constitution and the laws. Biden must enforce the law. By himself, his speeches, by the members of his cabinet. In Watergate, it was John Dean who said to Nixon there was a cancer on the presidency. Well, there is a cancer on the nation. This goes beyond the White House. It is systemic. Maybe like uh, we have police racism. We have a real problem in America. We still have people protesting the police racism. And a justice bill sits in the Senate that was passed by the Congress that Moscow Mitch hasn't acted upon. That's not a government that's working. That's dystopic. That is bias. That is systemically itself racist in the sense that it is blocking equality and fair treatment for persons of color and others who are the subject of police violence. And the beat goes on. We can go through all the bills that are sitting in the Senate that haven't been acted upon because Mitch McConnell just sits there as a doorkeeper. It's, no, 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 I'm not going to let that happen. Um, so there is a cancer on a nation. There was this growth. It was dangerous. It was sickening when Trump won the election in 2016. And the patient, uh, our nation, needs a cure. And it certainly wasn't Trump. So let's uh, not talk about letting bygones be bygones. And I think you know what I'm talking about here. There's this talk about, oh, okay, Trump is gone. Well, that's over. Well, it's not over. It is a continuing debate in this discussion. And I always tell my friends, you can't win the argument you don't make. 
Well, we can't win the argument we don't make here. And the, the Congress and many other commentaries, they prefer someone else to do the dirty work, you know? Uh, let's have uh, Mueller. He'll, he'll solve this for us, and then we'll take his solution, and we'll nod our heads and approve it, and it won't be on us. Well, they're doing the same thing with New York. The New York AG, ah, well, she'll bring the action she's going to bring, and that will bring down Trump, and we won't have to do anything ourselves. And, or the Manhattan DA, Vance, he will do it, despite the fact that there are six people in a primary trying to uh, prevent him from winning the nomination. Who knows what money will go into that and affect that election, or who knows, affect prosecuting decisions. And I don't mean to be unfair to uh, Vance, but, you know, we see the forces that work and that distort our laws and our order, and we just cannot have that happen. And the Congress has to step up, and Biden has to step up. So we have no angels in this outgoing administration. We have only evil, and the nation needs an exorcism to restore trust and faith in our laws. Congress must reconsider how to use the tools the founders gave them to check and balance the power of the president. Congress must enact legislation to prevent what Trump did. Uh, or, and, and that is by another chief executive, not he's coming back, who might test the waters so that he may not do what Trump did and that no one stopped. <laughs>